When it goes wrong, it goes wrong, and when it goes right, it goes right. And it happens to be right for Georgia right now. From the red and black, this is the front page. It's Monday, June 22nd. On today's episode, we're revisiting a feat that has only happened once in UGA baseball history. Our sports editor, William Newland, reported the story on the 30-year anniversary of when the Diamond Dogs, or UGA's baseball team, won the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. Here's William with the story of that historic summer. On June 9, 1990, the Bulldogs were crowned champions in the College World Series for the first and only time in program history. Despite four more trips to Omaha over the next three decades, the 1990 team's feat has never been repeated. We talked to four men who were a part of the team during that historic season. The pressure was building before the championship game. Georgia was riding high off two wins against number one seed Stanford and their future MLB Hall of Fame pitcher Mike Mussina. Their final battle was against Oklahoma State, which was in its third College World Series championship in 10 years. We asked then-senior first baseman and designated hitter Brian Jester to take us back. I remember it was an absolutely beautiful day. I remember the night before there was uh, somebody pulled a fire alarm or something in the, in the hotel room. And, you know, middle of the night, uh, everybody had to get up and go downstairs and, you know, meet in the basement. So it really wasn't, wasn't that great a night. Uh, the night before, the anxiety was more, it was more compounded by, by that. Um, but I remember it was, it was an absolutely beautiful day. What happens is, is during the court, the, the tournament is so long that the games start to, to wear a little bit and the crowds start to wane a little bit. That final game uh, is kind of the pinnacle of, of the whole tournament. So there's more buzz. There's more of a, there's a, you know, there's a bigger crowd. There's there's a there's a larger crowd than, than what you were used to when you were out there. Even though every game was just, felt like it was packed, um, but it was more festive. It was more of a it was more it was more of a pinnacle of okay, this is it. Beautiful day. Um, Oklahoma State had walked through their their, their side of the, the bracket, but I I know we were we were good. Terry Childers still remembers the details of that championship game. Uh, I'm Terry Childers Jr. And uh, in 1990, I was a sophomore, and I was a catcher. Today, I work for uh, Bradford Health Services. Bradford provides drug and alcohol treatment. So I, I try to help people get sober now since I learned how to drink so well in Athens back then. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I've been sober myself almost 15 years. Um so, you know, I went from baseball and beer to uh, recovery. Um, so I uh, really enjoyed my job now. Man, it was just a, it was just a magical time. First of all, our, our team, we just had such great team chemistry. Everybody really knew their roles, and we just had great uh, senior leadership. And so we just, everybody just gelled really well together. And, you know, when we got to the World Series, I think we were seated fourth, 
which was kind of right in the middle. And, you know, we had uh, some of the bigger names in college baseball there, you know, Stanford, Oklahoma State, LSU. And, you know, I think after we won the first game against Mississippi State, we started feeling pretty confident. And then we beat, uh, you know, Mike Mussina for the first time. And that really grew our confidence. But to get to the, the championship game, you know, up to that point, we'd only had two guys pitch, um, Dave Flemming and Mike Reben. And we were really all expecting for Dave Flemming to get the start, even though I think he just pitched it, you know, a couple of days before then, uh, another complete game. Uh, but the decision was made to start Stan Payne, who was a, you know, a freshman. And we were hoping to get, you know, maybe five innings out of Stan and then bring in uh, Dave. And we actually got six innings out of Stan. I mean, he just did a phenomenal job. I mean, to put a freshman in there, you know, in a national championship game and do what he did was pretty phenomenal. And so everything just went to script as far as our, our pitching uh, strategy that day. And, you know, we got a couple of runs and we held them. Okay, so, you know, pitching the defense wins, and for us, that's exactly that's exactly how it happened. Um, I know it was, a, it was a special time for me. My, my whole family was out there, um, and it was just really cool to be able to share that experience with them, and then for us to win the whole thing, it was just, like I said, it was, it was just magical. Well, it was just one of those years where, you know, we, we kind of got off to a, a little bit of a slow start and, and lost some games early. But then all of a sudden, everything just clicked in. Pitching, hitting, fielding, everything. That's Greg Appleton, who is then the assistant coach. He's now the head coach at Columbus State University and has been to the Division II College World Series Championship game three times since his tenure with the Diamond Dogs ended in 1992. It just seemed like every weekend, you know, we were going and, uh, you know, winning two out of three or sweeping and, not losing many uh, midweek games and uh, just, you know, it was kind of magical. We just had a good flow. Then freshman left fielder Ray Suplee said he and some teammates called themselves the Cardiac Kids. Though nothing came easy, the 1990 Diamond Dogs stayed calm and stayed confident that at the end of 27 outs, no matter who they played, they'd have the most runs on the board. Listen to Suplee, who told us about the bond on the team. I was, I was surprised from day one, week one, walking into a clubhouse with multiple fifth-year seniors and, and candidly to be treated as an equal. There was no freshman hazing. There was no, we're better than, than you guys. We were, you know, it, it was cliche city. We all had Georgia on our jerseys and G's on our hats, and that's how we acted, and that's how we played, and that's how we worked. So I think that's the most special we did life together. It was a blast. Remember this about Georgia. This is a veteran team. They have five players on this club that were in the 1987 College World Series, and they definitely learned something having been here. And because they're seniors, they have that leadership, don't they, Coach? Got uh, excellent leadership and uh, confidence it built throughout the season, and uh, they really have great unity. And they hit a stone wall right at the end of the season. Had a chance to win the conference championship. Lost five in a row, and they have really come back since that time. Terry prides himself on having played through injury 
and he was still banged up from a collision at home plate against Rutgers in Georgia's College World Series Regional Tournament. He was concussed and missed the final game in Waterbury, Connecticut. But back in action for the team's opening game in Omaha, Terry went on to produce his best offensive showing in 1990 en route to the title. You know, talking about your injuries, you had the, you know, you were knocked out in the Rutgers game moving on to the, the regional, uh, you know, the broken pinky. You know, talk, talk a little bit about what it was like to be a catcher in those days and how you were able to, to manage those injuries and, and keep playing. You know, thankfully, I was able to come back from that thing at LSU. I mean, because I had broken that finger and dislocated it. So when I was able to come back in the regionals, I had to tape my, those two fingers together. And so, like I said, swinging a bat was pretty painful. Throwing it wasn't quite as bad. But I guess it just gave me that, you know, hey, I need to get back in there as soon as I can and be there for my team and, you know, to be able to, to be there during the, the um, regional, even though I did get knocked out. I mean, that was, that was a terrible collision, by the way. That guy really cleaned my clock. The hit wasn't unfamiliar to Terry, as rules meant to protect catchers and prevent collisions hadn't yet been adopted in baseball. While the Rutgers injury was especially bad, it wouldn't be the last time Terry would brace for impact as a determined runner barreled toward him at the plate. That, that play at home plate in, in the Oklahoma State game, I mean, what's what's going through your mind when you see the, see another guy coming at you like that? Uh, I mean, are you thinking about Rutgers? And, and did you think that a lot of guys had said that was a turning point in the game? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, it was, I think we were up 2-1 to one at the time. And, you know, we had, there was a runner on third base, obviously. We had brought the infield in. And, and in Omaha, the surface out there is really hard. So, um, thankfully, the ball was hit to uh, JR. And I know JR, we talked about it later. He said, man, I'm just so glad I made a good throw to you. And, and in that instance, you know, he got the ball to me. I had, I had a little bit of time to kind of brace myself and come up the line a little bit. I mean, I knew the guy was going to try to run me over, but you know, in that, in that situation, a two-to-one game, seventh inning of the national championship game, it's like, man, we, you know, we can't let this run score. And so, like I said, to be able to hold on to it, and then when I came down after the guy hit me, I fell right on to my pinky again. <laughs> and so, if you ever watch a replay of that game, you know, for a few minutes, I'm trying to throw the ball back to the pitcher, and I'm throwing it over his head and everywhere else, and my whole hand was just numb. Um, but when I could finally just at least get it to the pitcher's mound, I'm like, all right, I'm good, and hopefully nobody gets on base. <laughs> and nobody did, but, I mean, there's no way I was going to say anything to get taken out of that game, for, for sure. 30 years later, we asked Terry to reflect on a late team member, Mike Reben. His two complete game victories against Stanford sent them to the championship, but Mike passed away in 2019 after his battle with cancer. His number was 31, and as year 31 since the College World Series win approaches, some of his teammates are trying to get his number retired. But the UGA Athletic Association has been reluctant to retire the number, although it did put up a memorial plaque in the baseball locker room. Terry was one of Mike's good friends in college. Mike was just a, just a good family man. He's just an awesome He's just an awesome guy. Um, so for him to do what he did, not just at Georgia and, and, and to be the MVP, but even after, you know, graduating, he was a huge supporter of Georgia athletics in general. 
He always represented Georgia, you know, in a great way. I think he was on the all the all decade team as well for the College World Series. I know he went to all the football games. He was just a great ambassador for the University of Georgia. And so for him to, you know, die at an early age, I don't know. I mean, I, I just thought it would be a no-brainer. I've just been a little surprised that the number hadn't already been retired. You know, I don't know all the ins and outs of how that works, maybe with the athletic department, but if you can't retire the only College World Series MVP in school history who was just a phenomenal human being, then I don't know whose number you can retire when it comes to the baseball program. Reben was named the most outstanding player of that year's College World Series. He is survived by his wife and children, and in many ways, his 1990 teammates. He'll forever be memorialized in their minds and in Georgia history as instrumental to its one and only baseball national championship. Georgia wins it! And that was The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. This episode was co-produced by Kira Posey, William Newland, and Sherry Liang. The Front Page is sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.